This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, my peers, and welcome to another episode of the Peers Project podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode, my peers. I don't think I've ever been this excited to share with you all the conversation I had with today's guest. So, who is today's guest? Well, he's the inspiring, the brilliant millennial entrepreneur, storyteller, and motivational speaker all the way from Houston, Texas, Raj Jana. Raj is the founder of Java Press Coffee, a coffee and lifestyle brand, on a mission to help people transform coffee into something meaningful for themselves each day. He hosts the Stay Grounded podcast, has been personally mentored by Damon John, investor on US Shark Tank, and has been featured almost everywhere in Inc., Entrepreneur, Forbes, Success Magazine, you name it. In today's episode, my peers, Raj shares with us his wisdom and insights from his life experiences and entrepreneurial journey to date. And he really hones in on this idea of choice. You know, we all know that the choices we make each day do affect our daily lives, but we often forget that the places and the situations that we're in now are because we chose to be there, my peers. Now, for those of us who are at university and complaining about our studies and all the work that we have to do, we have to remember that we made the choice to be there and to be doing this. Now, for those of us, my peers, who are you know, in the workforce and perhaps not really enjoying our jobs, you know, complaining about it, you know, we have to remember once again, my peers, that we chose to be there and that we choose to be there every single day. In today's conversation, Raj really encourages us to evaluate how we look at certain situations that we're in now, the power of our choices and how to make our passion something so much bigger than ourselves. His story is so heartfelt and moving, my peers, and I cannot wait for you all to hear it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Raj Jana. Raj, welcome to the Peers Project. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I'm so excited to be here. You have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love it. So, you know, you and I were introduced to each other through my podcast coach, Ginny from Ginny Media and in New York City. And, you know, when she told me about you and your story, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you being here today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for thinking of me. 
Um, I love Australia. I just got back from a trip, so uh, I am fresh and warm for just about <laughs> everybody on that side of the world. <laughs> love it. We, we love that. Perfect. So before we dive into you and your work, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and your career so far? That's a great question. Um, so I grew up uh, in Boston uh, in the U.S., so that's the Northeast. I lived there until I was about seven and then my dad had an expat assignment where we moved to India for about four years. Uh, lived there. Uh, was part of an international school. And uh, it was fun. I mean, that's when you're at that age and you're exposed to different cultures uh, outside of what you're immediately sort of born into, um, it was very enriching because uh, people in the U.S. are a little different than people in India. And growing up in the U.S. is a little different than growing up in India. So you kind of get that contrast of just open-mindedness, culture, connection, and um, just seeing something beyond what your, what, your, what your peripheral is, like whatever's right in front of you. So then until about 11, then I moved back to the States. My dad got a job back in the States, and I uh, lived in Texas. And, um, yeah, and I've pretty much grown up in Texas my whole life. So, uh, Houston, Texas is where I'm currently located. That's where I grew up. I went to school in Texas. I've lived in the South for, of, of these States for almost all my life. And, um, I think it's, as far as how it's impacted me, I think traveling that much when I was young forced me to make a lot of new friends. So I would make friends and then I'd have to get really good at making new friends. And so I think it made me really adaptable. And somebody who can kind of go in and small talk or for lack of a better word, kind of get themselves accepted because that was kind of almost like survival mode for me, especially as a kid. Uh, you know, your friends groups are pretty much everything, your, your, your social groups, your popularity, everything kind of runs around who likes you and who doesn't. And so uh, moving so much when I was a young kid really kind of helped me sort of become a, a pseudo chameleon, if you would. And, uh, and work my way in and, and make my friend groups. And so I think that that sort of mentality has stuck with me um, as, I, as I've grown up and as I am now, is just being able to adapt and change and, and sort of move with the punches as they are served, how, however hard or soft they are. I love that. And I think that I, I, I couldn't agree more whereby, you know, you having to adapt as a child has made you ready for that now. And so I find that really interesting. So I guess I want to deep dive a little bit further into that time overseas in India and whatnot. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, those first couple of years, you know, you were only eight, you know, you're quite young, eight to nine, quite young. Do you remember, you know, how you felt? Did you remember the stark differences uh, between um, the US and India? You know, I don't think I really was as aware at that age of the differences. I think that's the beautiful thing about being young um, and innocent. You're, you sort of see everybody as the same and you sort of see everybody to just want to play games. And I mean, it's the same, it might be different languages. It might be different cultures, but the heart and soul of what makes a kid a kid is, is never going to change. And so, you know, I really felt like I didn't feel as much of a difference. I felt like they were actually, people were a little intrigued by me for sure, but uh, I didn't feel like I was treated any differently or I didn't really feel any real difference between both the cultures. I felt the culture shift when I came back to the States. You know, when I, when I went, when I was eight to India, that wasn't as big as me going from at the age of 11 or 12 back 
into the sixth grade where kids are starting to hit puberty and like there's like dating and feelings and like you're you know you're starting to like kind of come in there and I had to I had this Indian accent that I was trying to unlearn because I don't think any girls really wanted to go out with a guy with heavy, thick Indian accent. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, it, but that goes back to the adapting thing. So I think I felt a much bigger difference when I came back to the States. And, uh, and, you know, at that point, that's when I really started kind of realizing, you know, how to, how to be accepted and then what do, what do kids do? And so when I realized everyone was playing sports, that's what I wanted to do. So I started playing tennis. Um, I played tennis when I was in India too. I think that was kind of like the equalizer for me, at least like when you play a sport and you invest in a sport uh, you start to make friends through sport. And I think those are some of the best friends that I've ever made in my life because you're doing something that's about hard work, discipline, really kind of pushing yourself to compete, uh, build build friendships that are beyond something that's like on the surface. You're really kind of going deep. And so that having that in India, when I came back to the States, I just kept playing tennis. And so all my first friends were tennis players. And so, you know, like that kind of really got me back into the fold. And then I started competing a lot more. I got really good. And then like my whole friend kind of my identity kind of surrounded that that thing. I was an athlete. That was really like my first identity, I guess, when I came back. And, you know, when you hit 13s, when you really start to kind of form conscious thoughts and who you are, what you like, what you don't like. And um, so I think that's kind of how it felt when I came back. There were always similarities. There are always differences, too. But I think that the similarities always outshine the differences. So. I love that. I love how you grasped onto sport or, you know, uh, tennis and was like, great, I want to roll with this and see what happens with this and hopefully build my friendship group around this. I think that at times, you know, we, we can feel quite lost, whether it's moving from to a different country or if it's, you know, just going overseas to study for a little bit or, or whatever it may be, a new job, a new, a new workplace. And I think it's, it really is, as you were saying, it's really about developing that level, you know, that adaptive cult-like nature to be able to actually um, progress. So, what are some tips you can give us around that idea? You know, how can we become more adaptive and learn how to really roll with the punches and make things happen for ourselves? I think um, that's a great question, by the way. Um, one thing I've always felt helps people adapt is uncertainty. Now, uh, the only constant in life is change. Like, I mean, I think we get in, we fall into a lot of traps when we, expect things to stay the same longer than they're supposed to. And we build these expectations around our lives that one thing, you know, we put in the work once we're done. Like you go to college, you got a degree, you're done, you know, stark wake up call. That's not necessarily the case, right? Like it's almost as if when the journey actually begins. So I think just understanding that things are like, you really don't want to become somebody who expects the same thing every single day. I think it's transforming yourself into somebody who can anticipate and feel comfortable in uncertainty. And I think that only happens by pushing yourself out of your comfort zone in controlled spaces, right? So I was forced to go from India to the US and forced to figure that out. That forced me to learn how to adapt. But I think that there's a lot of chosen struggles that we can infuse in our lives like whether it be going to the gym and trying to get in shape or whether it be um, picking up a new hobby and competing or whether it be starting a little side hustle, whatever it may be, I think introducing uncertainty into your life in small and controlled doses 
will allow you to sort of build that skill of being able to maneuver around challenges when they show up because you're doing them in a way that's controlled and comfortable to you. So I think that's the first way that I would just do it. I would just start taking on things that you don't really know how to do and start building your own skill sets of being able to almost sort of like dance and play in the deep end of the pool with no floaties on. And uh, at least that's, that's how I did it. Or that's When I reflect back on my life, I think that was the biggest thing for me was just putting myself in situations that were out of my control or out of my comfort zone and then trusting myself to figure it out. So well said. So so many gems in that. Um, I, I completely agree. I think I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. So you did mention university and how you know we think that as we progress and when we graduate, like that's it, we're done. And I found that so interesting because I think lots of our peers out there listening may be experiencing that, you know. And so I would love to deep dive now into your time at uni. Yeah. So. I saw that you attended the University of Texas um, in Austin, as you as you said, for about four years. You did engineering. Um, so, talk to me about that experience there, and kind of you know what that time was like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I chose engineering because my senior year of high school, right before I went to university, um, I had a mentor who told me that, that you know he was oil and gas. I lived in Houston. Oil and gas is a big industry here, and he was just like. Raj, get an engineering degree, go get your MBA, and you're going to be set. So I was like, all right, the man has spoken, so that is exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> and uh, so I went in, and I got my engineering degree. Um, and at the time when I was at school, uh, I actually also started my own fraternity. And so I was really involved in extracurricular activities and really sort of involved in uh, doing a lot of work outside, building my own leadership skills outside of just engineering. Uh, which I think paid off so much more than me actually getting an engineering degree. And it forced me. I mean, engineering taught me how to think, but starting a fraternity, getting involved socially taught me how to build relationships, uh, which has been so important for me in every capacity. Uh, We thrive on our relationships. I mean, that's the human experience. And so being able to communicate, being able to make friends, being able to like build loyalty to like any, whatever it may be, whatever your definition of being an amazing, being in or building amazing relationships means the universe, my my time at university taught me or it groomed me to where when I left, I was able to apply a lot of the relationship building skills and a lot of the skills, the intangibles that I'd sort of picked up from starting a fraternity. uh, I think those skills were much more valuable for me uh, when I got out of, uh, university and I went into the workforce and I, and I got a job right out of school. Um, I was a, an engineer at Chevron. And so I did a lot of like engineering work for them. And I think just my own ability, again, to kind of bring those intangibles, like the social relationships and those skills with me, that allowed me to be much more versatile when I left university. Uh, if I would have just been gung-ho engineer, that's all I did. I think I would have pigeonholed myself into not having that flexibility and I think flexibility was so important for me, especially because, you know, you know, the oil and gas industry is like up and down. When oil prices are high, everybody's making money, everyone's great. But then when oil prices are low, everyone's losing jobs, everyone's stressed. So having that flexibility and having those skills that were completely not tied to work or work output or, um, or engineering, I think gave me a competitive edge uh, when I left. 
I love that you put it down to that relationships and relationship building. And I think that so many of us, you know, many of our peers out there listening might be thinking, why did I even bother with uni? Like, or, you know, that time at uni, like I'm not even doing what I'm doing now or I don't like my job or whatever it is. And it's, it's so true that it's not just the studies that you learn or the, you know, the actual technical skills. It's more so those social skills. And I had a very similar experience as well with the university society being part of one of those quite heavily. And so I'd love to deep dive into that period where you created a society, what type of society was it? And what drove you to actually go out and do that? So it was a fraternity. Oh, so wrong. So for those, Sorry, yeah. it's different. Yeah. It's different. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, so fraternity <laughs> is pretty much like a social group um, with a bunch of people. And, um, you know, you have access to alumni who graduated from the fraternity. You have access to different resources. And it's just like a network, really. So when you leave college, if you go somewhere and you're looking for a job or you're looking for an opportunity, or you're looking for some place to stay, uh, you have a network of people that are connected to something that is beyond like, you know, just a social in-person interaction. That's essentially what, a, what the fraternity was for us. And so for me, um, my fraternity was a opportunity for me. It was my way of building something from scratch because when I played tennis in high school, I just felt like, I feel like my, I want to back up a little bit because I feel like my life has kind of gone in chapters. I feel like when I was in high school, you know, I worked really, really, really hard to uh, become very, very competitive tennis player, become state ranked, all that good stuff. And that was like, I felt like I left the legacy behind. And then when I got to college, you know, I was seeing all these fraternities and social groups and, and I just didn't want to be a, like, they didn't really speak my language. And so I was like, Hey, you know what? I want to do something different. So then I started a fraternity because the opportunity came up and I thought it'd be fun and I thought it'd be challenging. So that's why I did that there. And so growing that was a wonderful experience. I, I almost call it my first stint into entrepreneurship. It was like the, the, like I got to test try, like starting something from scratch. I got to test try like kind of like sales and marketing and all that stuff without actually the pure like risk of losing money. So it was a um, it was an experience for me uh, in that regard, and it was an experience that forced me to grow. And as we grew, I learned more and more um, about like creating. I realized that I could use the brand and the fraternity I built to learn anything I wanted. So if I wanted to learn how to host an event, I could use the fraternity to host an event. If I wanted to you know, learn how to, uh, host a play, or if I wanted to learn how to run for office, I could literally leverage the fraternity to do that. So I just felt like, like having the fraternity gave me so many different options to learn whatever I wanted. And it gave me a curiosity. Um, because again, like now here's this thing that has no defined outcome. Like, I don't know what this is supposed to do for me. I get to define how I want to use it, which then allowed me to get very resourceful and creative. I think those are skill sets that I also built in college that have gone light years for me as I've left the resourcefulness and, and, and the relationship building, and then just the curiosity to learn and take self-initiative to learn because that's, that was actually, I think the biggest thing that my fraternity taught me was like starting one as opposed to joining one. You know, if I didn't put in the work, nothing happened. And if I didn't push, you know, along with my other mates that we did it with, but if I didn't push, uh, nothing was going to get done. And so I think there's a lot, uh, lot packed inside that one experience. So it's hard for me to like bring it all out, but I could sum it down to, you know, a handset of values. I think it just, 
And I think that's, that's the important thing. Like most people do talk about university now. They're like, is it worth it? Mm. I, I think that personally, I think university is worth it. One, because when you go to college, you're 18 years old, right? And so if we go back to that middle school age, when I was talking about when you're hitting your, your 12, 13 years old, technically that's when your identity is born. So if we think about your identity starting at the age of 13, at the age of 18, your identity is only five years old. Uh, could you imagine a five-year-old trying to figure life out? No, it sounds crazy, right? So if you think about a five-year-old identity, when they go into college, I think the best thing is you're out on your own. You're still not like completely detached from family. You're not really thrown into real life yet. College is the perfect place to really identify and pick up your and, and mold your identity around your own opinions, not your parents, around your own experiences. Like you get to really create your own experience. Like, and nobody's telling you what to do. You're kind of deciding to a certain degree. And then when you leave college, that's when you can apply everything on your own. But I do think that college had a really important place in my own personal development. Um, and I'm grateful for the time I spent in, in university, even though I, I did go in a lot of debt and uh, it, it wasn't fun to pay off. But, uh, you know, it, uh, it taught me what I needed to learn. I don't think I'd be the man I am right now if I didn't go to college. I love that. I think that, um, you know, just, just touching on what you said, it's, I couldn't agree more whereby it's really, it really is that experience to try and get to know who you are and what you like and, you know, grow those, you know, grow those skills that are so necessary as we leave. And, you know, it's no surprise that, you know, when you did leave, you know, a couple of years later, you founded your first kind of side hustle, I guess you could call it. And because you had that experience at college. Um, so I think that's, yeah, I think you said that very well. Great. So, you know, now, you, you know, you've been through uh, your high school days um, with tennis and now you've gone through college and you've created this fraternity and now it's time to, to enter the real world, right? And so for you, you know, you headed on to, as you said, uh, work at Chevron which um, for those who don't know, it's one of the world's largest uh, integrated energy companies. So I found that really interesting. You, you were there for about four years. So talk to us a little bit about, yeah. you know, those, that early experience, first time out there in the working world and what, you know, what you kind of learned about yourself and also the industry. So Chevron was such an amazing canvas for me because I, when I came from college, like I said, I, Right out of college, I got a job with Chevron, walked in, making great money, more money than I need to make, really, as a 22-year-old kid right out of school. And uh, I was having a lot of fun. I was making money for the first time. I was being able to enjoy myself. I was making friends. And But ever since my high school days, I always had something to look forward to. I, you know, uh, when, you, when you're in high school, at least in the U.S., I don't know if Australia is the same way, but in the U.S., you start in the ninth grade and then you graduate in the 12th grade. So there's four years of, of like, you have a defined period, four years, and then you have your graduation and your big aha, and then you go off to the next thing. And then go to university, it's the same thing. You have your first year and then your four years. And then aha, you have your graduation, everyone throws parties, and then woohoo, you're gone, right? And so now I'm in, I'm in work. This is the first time in my life I didn't have that, oh, in four years, you're going to get to have a party, da-da-da, and go, Right. <laughs> And so now what I had to look forward to was 40 years mm -hmm. until I retired and until I could then rightfully live my life. And um, that was a really sobering and depressing thought uh, for me. It was. I mean, I didn't want to spend my entire 
life working, working, working. Um, I mean, I loved, I loved my job. I, I, I loved being an engineer, but you know, I was in student debt. I was sending money back to my parents every month. Like, you know, me and my girlfriend were doing long distance at the time. And so like all of those combined just made me just not feel very good at work. So everything kind of that plus the retirement thing. I mean, I just, I started dabbling on the side about a year in is when I really started looking online. I read a book called the four hour work week and uh, it was one of my favorite books. It kind of opened my eyes to what was possible and what I didn't know. Cause for the longest time, my, you know, every single person in my support circle from parents to friends to mentors had always just said, Raj, go to school, get great, ga- uh, get great grades, get a job, make all your money and just live. And uh, I think for the first time in my life, Tim Ferriss in that book told me you, that is all BS. Like none of that has to be real if you don't want it to be real. And so I remember reading that book and I was just so shocked that life could be lived that way. And it kind of sparked that curiosity again, because back in college, I was a self-learner starting the fraternity and everything. And so I kind of started teaching myself um, how to make money online. So I started buying courses and going through the motions. I bought one course, uh, went through the motions, failed miserably. Then I bought my second course. uh, And I just kept investing um, because I had a full-time job, so I had money. And so I just kept investing in my learning and then um, eventually started JavaPress initially as just a side hustle just to like sell products online. And that grew into something completely different um, that I had no intention of, of really growing into. I just wanted to make money, pay off my loans and, and all that. And it kind of uh, it changed. So I think in a long-winded way to answer your question, um, work was amazing for me. It, it gave me a platform it taught me a lot. I think every experience I've had has taught me something. And I think that that's where you lose. Um, I think we as millennials, we, I think if we make mistakes anywhere, it's we look at the circumstances we're in and we forget that it is a choice we are there. And if we start looking at every circumstance we're in as a choice, you start to extract the lessons that being in that circumstance gives you. And that's what makes all the time you spend worth it. Because if you just go through the motions and you go through university, or you go through work and you're not necessarily using it intentionally or spending your time wisely, or you know why you're there, that's when you start getting cloudy and lost. And that's when I did at least. And so for me, the biggest takeaway from Chevron was that it was just this idea that I am making a choice to be here. I am making a choice to have a job and hustle on the side. I am making a choice. And that gave me all the power and the empowerment to act the way I did and, and, and focus on what I wanted to learn. I love that. Literally everything you said in there, I, people can't see us, but I was nodding my head <laughs> like crazy um, because I just so agree with so much that you were saying. And I think that, you know, just touching your point about us as millennials and our generation kind of feeling like we're almost forced to do things. And, you know, we're trying to, we have this huge sense, I believe, of escapism. You know, we want to get that next holiday locked in and then mm-hmm. the next one after that. And I mean, us Australians, we love to travel. So that's always usually the, you know, the go-to. But, you know, I, I think you're so right. It's that idea of just appreciating that it's a choice choice and, you know, that we can actually learn from it, which is clearly what you did. And it's so cool to see. So, I want to dive into a bit of those early years of Java Press. So as you said, you were still working for your full time. What were, you know, you were doing those online courses, trying to understand and, you know, what were those early challenges of 
and, you know, when did you decide to start that company and what were those early challenges like? So I think it's important for me to talk about all of my attempts at side hustles uh, because uh, really? if I just talk about Java Prince, then everyone's going to be like, oh, wow, this guy's <laughs> a one-hit wonder. And, um, you know, I can't be that lucky and there's no chance for me. So just to paint the picture for everybody, November 2014, I bought a course that taught people how to start a software company from scratch with no investment, no money down, and no coding experience. And so it sounded like a really bad infomercial. And I was like, really like, just I bought into it. I was like, I was just read four hour work week. I was excited, heard this on a different podcast and I went in. And the concept that the course teaches you is find an industry, ask them what their pains are, validate the pains across multiple people, and then build a software solution to fix their pain. And because it's so painful, have them pay to get it developed. Right. So on paper, it sounds super simple. And um, I remember I went into that experience uh, and I picked breweries as my industry, not because breweries made money, not because of anything else, but breweries, uh, I just liked beer. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I, so for that reason, I, I wanted to hang out with other people because I felt like they were living the life I wanted to live, passionate, just doing whatever they wanted, whenever the time, drinking beer all day, like it just seemed like a, a, a posh life. And so I started cold calling breweries and uh, I remember each step of the way, the challenges that felt so big, once I got over them, they felt really small. And so my first challenge ever was actually cold calling. I'd never cold called anyone in my life before. And I remember my first cold call, like it was like scaring the heck out of me. And I just, I, I, I was so terrified. But the second I picked up the phone and I actually called, the guy told me to go away. And he's like, nope, I don't want to talk to you. Bye. But I didn't care because I was so excited. Like it was the most exhilarating thing I'd ever experienced in my life because for the first time ever, something I thought that was going to kill me or something that I thought was going to literally like shatter me didn't. And that started this giant then push to keep doing things that I was really terrified of. And so from there, I kept calling more and more brewers during my lunch breaks, just calling, calling, calling. I had built up a solution, got a really good idea of everything. And at that point, I, you know, I, I was ready to start asking for money to develop. And so I got back on the phone with all these guys. They were so like, thank you for building this thing. I was so excited. But when I went to go ask them for money, uh, they said, oh, we don't have money. I don't, I don't have money. I was like, I just quit my job, took my retirement funds and started this brewery. Like, I can't pay you for this. And that was the first time I'd ever gotten a glimpse of failure. I spent six months of my life just cold calling, getting so optimistic about this. And I didn't do my homework. I didn't run the math. I didn't, I didn't do the market research. I didn't actually see if this was a good, I just blindly followed my passion and my passion didn't serve me. So at that point, I went back to the drawing board, trying finding another course Found a course on, um, on selling online, so selling physical products online. I bought the course, and this time I took the complete opposite route, which was uh, put my passion aside and find uh, profitable niches and industries that I can get into. And I had a couple of niches picked, but I ultimately ended up landing in, in the coffee space because coffee is just one of those industries that never runs out. And I wanted an industry where if I worked really hard and I figured it out, then we'd be able to succeed. So I picked coffee, I uh, found our grinder, which was our first product we ever launched online. It's like a manual coffee grinder and uh, found it. I used the course to learn how to create like a pretty box and inserts and how to get it manufactured and how to send it in. And 
how to list it online. And so I did that. And I launched our first product in September of 2015. Uh, a couple months in, I was making, you know, six, seven, eight thousand dollars a month selling these grinders. Um, it was like just an amazing experience. Uh, and then I had, um, I think the one experience that forced the company to grow even faster. And that was when my first mentor died. And I think that was probably one of the most formative experiences in my early days of JavaPress because it gave, I think, me the fuel and the fire to do what I really wanted to do. And, um, you know, so we had, we were doing well, everything was going great. Uh, you know, I was picking up sales, but I was like kind of just doing it on the side. I wasn't really focused. Uh, I was just kind of dabbling when I had time. And then uh, I had a mentor, his name is Jerry Markowitz. He spent 37 years at the same company. He was like one of my first mentors when I, he's a geologist. I don't know if you know any geologists, but they're all really quirky and I love them. They're amazing people. And um, Jerry was no different, you know, lived in the same city for 37 years, worked in the same role for 37 years. And he was so ready for retirement. And uh, I remember he would sit next to me at work and we'd talk about like he was a big wood turner. I didn't even know what wood turning was. Like, I mean, I was just like, dude, you have the quirkiest, weirdest hobbies ever. You like <laughs> licking rocks and, and, and wood turning. And I was like, this guy is crazy. Um, but no, he's an amazingly sweet guy. And, and he helped me out a lot. And I remember him saying that. And I was just like, man, I can't wait for you to just go chill because you've put your dues in. Like you played everything right. Like you are ready to go. And then with three months left until retirement, uh, just one random afternoon, we ended up getting a, an email from HR saying that he had a heart attack and died. And uh, I think that was like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Like that was such a wake up call because you know, I looked around my life. I looked around everywhere around me. I, I started questioning like my, like my job, my stupid side hustle, um, like God, like I just started like just feeling like when you have an experience like that, you almost like accelerate like 50 years of learning and 50 years of experiences. Like I fast forwarded to when I was 57 and looking back on my life and I was like, Oh my God, this is a trap. Like we're all, this is like, if you don't start living your life now, you are going to fall into this loop. And I feel like there's this short window that you have before you get sucked into the autopilot. And then when you get autopilot, all of a sudden you look back 20 years and you forget where your life went. And I just saw that in my own mind. I saw that in my future. I was seeing that in my friend's futures. And I saw that in my dad. I mean, my dad worked his entire life, came to the U.S. with 60 bucks in his pocket. He worked his entire life to just give everything from my mom, my brother, um, and me. And he did. I mean, I never struggled. Like, you know, I, I, I've always had enough money for tennis lessons. Like, my dad helped me out with school, like, for the, for the first two semesters. And then I paid for the last two myself. And, like, he always was there. And he always sacrificed his own happiness on the bet that he could do it when he retired. And the idea of something like what happened to Jerry happening to my father, that broke me. And I think that was the first day that my passion turned into my why. And that's when I realized I wanted to be successful and I had to be successful because this is not the life that I want to live. And um, that's when everything changed. Um, like I just hunkered down. I got up, started getting up at 5 a.m., started going to bed at 10. Um, I just worked, 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 and built up the company. I was running on fumes and just working. And at that point, seven, eight months later, we were doing six figures a month in sales while I was still working a full-time job. And then, uh, you know, and then we changed the mission of the company to honor Jerry. 
and like honor his legacy and honor this message of staying grounded through the moments that matter and not waiting until tomorrow to live. You can live life now and still work. Like living life now does not mean you have to travel the world or quit your, you can learn to live life intentionally with purpose, with passion along the way and do all these other things that you're required to do. That is a choice. So I made the choice then to evolve Java Press and then it just became, and that's when the company really grew into what it is now uh, with with the beautiful culture and the mission and kind of everything we do. But after Jerry died, I mean, it was like, hell on earth. I mean, I was just working. I had ups and downs. I mean, there was a point where we lost, I had a 90% refund rate because of something that broke in one of our products. And I mean, I just did everything for the right reasons. I contacted people, I I maintained relations and I took care of our customers. And now those guys are some of our most loyal customers. They keep coming back to us. And, you know, every time I feel like I hit some sort of rock bottom, it just turned into a catalyst for incredible growth. And it was all because I think of the way I chose to experience it, which goes back to what we were talking about. You know, everything that I think I experienced growing Java Press, it, it was a choice. I chose to put myself in this situation. I chose to work hard. I chose to take that experience I had with Jerry and make that mean something for me. There's so many people that I worked with that had that same exact experience, but they're not sitting here starting companies. They're not sitting here trying to escape it. Um, and I think that's the power of choice. Because when you take accountability for your choices and you take complete ownership for where you are, who you are, and what you want, all of a sudden you have the ability to write these stories and these narratives and take these life experiences and transform them into things that then push you to be a version of yourself that you're not yet. And I think that's just the beautiful part of life and, 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 and ups and downs. I mean, the ups can't exist without the downs. And, uh, I think that's something that I learned very early on. You know, the downs can always mean something more if you want them to. And uh, I've tried to look at my life through that. I might not be the best at it. I still might be like, why the heck is this happening to me? Or like try and want to blame something or the universe. But ultimately, you know, I think taking ownership for just where you are, who you are and what you want. is the first step to using any opportunity to learn and, and, and live a life you love. Wow. I... I'm almost lost for words. I was taking all of that in and my all I was thinking of, oh, my goodness, all the quotes that are going to come from this, <laughs> for, you know, on the social media and, like, oh, my goodness, we're going to broadcast this everywhere. And I'm just, it was just all happening for me. So thank you so much for that because it was so heartfelt and, you know, it was so powerful. And one thing that I just stuck in my mind from that was when you said, you know, the power of choice. And we already know, I already know that's going to be the title of your, this episode, but I want us, I think, to, to perhaps um, talk on that specifically yeah. a bit more. So obviously there was so much from what you said, which is phenomenal. But, you know, I think that idea of that power of choice and being conscious every single day and choosing to live how you want to live, regardless of work and regardless of responsibilities, you know, is just so powerful and so important. So perhaps perhaps give us, you know, some, some tips, some actual strategies that we can use to actually um, adopt that mindset of having that power of choice and that we can use every day. I think one um, simple change in just the way you speak, right? So um, most of us, we have jobs or we have things, obligations, responsibilities, whatever you call them. And the language that we use to describe those is I have to do this. One simple way 
to just shift out of that is instead of saying I have to do this, change it to I get to do this. When you make that simple shift in words, now all of a sudden you get to do this. And then that bursts the question, why? <laughs> why do I get to do this? Uh, oh, I get to do this because I, you know, I, I, I'm working on something on the side and this is paying my bills and that's really cool. Or I choose to do this because, you know, I want to look good or I want to be in shape or I want to make my girlfriend or boyfriend happy or, you know, like because they mean a lot to me. And then you can go one layer deeper. Why is that important? Oh, I want to make my girlfriend or boyfriend happy because they make me really happy. And the beautiful thing about changing that from I have to to I choose to or I get to is that now you can start exploring the intention behind the obligation, which now makes the obligation a treat. And it changes the way you can now approach. It changes the way that you can now approach the obligation and the responsibility, which makes all the difference in the world. Because now you're showing up with a different attitude. You're showing up with a different type of energy, which then opens up more doors and more opportunities for you to say, yes, I choose to do this. And it's just a snowball effect that then permeates every part of your life. Because once you start to say, I choose to do this, you start to view the world through the lens of gratitude and being grateful and appreciative, mm -hmm. right? And that is such a simple shift that will change your experience of the world almost 360 degrees. Like you'll go all the way back around and just look at the exact same thing you're doing, but now you've told yourself a different story. And now you're writing a different narrative because when you say, I choose to do this, that is you saying, I am taking complete ownership of what I'm about to do. Another tip, a beautiful way to, to take ownership is to practice forgiveness, which is one of the harder things to do, I think, in life, um, especially if you've been through either bad breakups or you've been through parents who didn't care about you or you went through some sort of fallout or anything. Forgiveness is actual ownership. And so when you look at this and be like, I choose to forgive this person, you are doing yourself a favor by owning whatever happened to you. You are owning it. You're either accepting it or owning it, which then allows you to simply shift the energy with which you show up. And when you just, it's, it's all just shifting energy. I think that's all it is. The power of choice is just shifting where you're putting your attention. Are you putting your attention on things that are out of your control? Or are you putting your attention on things that are 100% in your control? And where you put your in, in, intention and where you put your focus and attention manifests into action, which then creates a reality that you really want to have. And so I think the power of choice all comes back to simple ways that you speak about the things you're going to do, and then simple ways that you accept the things that have already happened to you. And when you combine both of those together, you start to create a life that is propelled and pulled by passion as opposed to being pushed by fear. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for that. That was so good. And it's so funny that you said you know, fueled by passion or propelled by passion because that's that's everything that we're about here at the Peace Project, everything we talk about, pursuing your passion. And we talk a lot about that fear as well. What's the, you know, what's the opposite of that? Well, it's the fear that's really driving it. And I think that so many of us have the tendency to let fear drive us as opposed to passion. And so I love that you touched on that and that's such good tips. So I want to, before we start to wrap up, I want to dive a little bit into the progression of, um, the progression of the business. So 
you know, I've got here some crazy stats, which, you know, clearly you've already mentioned, you know, you went from zero to six figures within the first 12 months. You were growing the company at 400 to 800% um, in top line revenue every year. You said that you've helped over 150,000 unique customers use coffee as a vehicle to achieve more daily fulfillment. And the list goes on and on. You've been featured almost everywhere. So look, talk to us a bit about that huge progression from, you know, now we've started to do six figures and now we've got this mission and we're helping these people. Talk to us a little little bit about those last few, those recent few years for you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you guys, you make me sound a lot cooler than I feel. Um, but it's been a fun journey and experience for me um, because, like I said, you know, when we hit our first six-figure month, uh, I didn't really realize why we got there so fast. After I reflected and looked back on my, on my journey, I realized that, oh, my God, Jerry's death is what caused me to push. And at that point, I was actually really fuming out too because I'd worked so hard and we were just hitting all these money goals and I thought money is what I wanted and money really wasn't the end goal. Money was a tool that I was using to live a fulfilling life, but it wasn't the end all be all. I needed all the, the, the wealth and everything in the world at the time. Like I didn't really need that. And so when I changed the mission of the company um, from, hey, we just sell products that coffee lovers can use to drink better coffee to we sell products that help people use coffee to live happier lives. The energy at which we communicated with customers changed. The energy at which uh, customers experienced us. The energy at which we felt connected to the brand, the company. And I think the beautiful thing of human beings is when you connect passion, purpose with work, all of a sudden, amazing things just line up. Things start happening. I mean, that year was the first year that we experienced an 800% increase in growth um, because that was the first year where we weren't selling coffee anymore. We were selling an idea. We were selling a movement, a lifestyle. And that showed, but with the way we talked to our customers, we didn't just treat our customers as people who bought coffee products anymore. We were teaching our customers how to live a more abundant life with passion and fulfillment and purpose. And, And so that really started the journey. That, that simple shift in why we do what we do and communicating that to our customers is what made the shift. And then at that point, uh, I, I launched our own podcast, which was Stay Grounded. And, um, and Stay Grounded actually turned into the vehicle that grew Java Press even more because now um, we were taking this lifestyle that we were talking about just with coffee and applying it to every part of life, whether it was love, happiness, fulfillment, success, routines, health, mindset, you name it. I mean, now like the company was being associated in this light, which made people want to be a part of it even more. And so that's what caused that journey. And then we got the intention of, um, of Damon John and of, at Shark Tank. And um, I got some mentorship from him and really weird people and amazing entrepreneurs were starting to want to mentor me and, um, and kind of help out. And and it led me down this amazing journey of um, self-discovery, purpose, uh, fun, challenge. And I think I just learned to appreciate every part of the roller coaster ride. And uh, that's pretty much what it's been the last couple of years. It's been a roller coaster ride. It's been one hell of a roller coaster ride. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I left Chevron about a year ago. So I built up Chevron up until middle of 2017. 
um, I left. And uh, after I left, that turned into a whole new learning experience because, mm-hmm. you know, you take away the consistent paycheck, no matter how much money you're making, it still stings a bit because you're, you're kind of wired. I remember like when I first left JavaPress or not when I first left Chevron, I had to like this configure my paychecks from uh, JavaPress to come on the same days that I get paid at Chevron. Yeah. Like I could pick any days, but I had to pick the same one because psychologically it just helped yeah. me. It helped me be a part of that and have that. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, ultimately that, uh, that's, that's been the journey and, um, I don't pretend that I'm done. I don't pretend that I know everything, but I am learning, growing. I'm just really grateful that, uh, that we get to do the work that we do at Java press and, and, and all the different people that we help along the way. So it's been a lot of fun. Love it. I, I love I love hearing those stories and the progression. And, you know, I think that you you totally are, you know, you totally are living up to that mission and everything you say. And really when I started reading, you know, the stats and whatnot and learning a bit more about your company, it was that that stuck out to me. It was that purpose behind it. You could feel it. You know, you could feel that the company had a true purpose and there was so, so much passion behind it, which which is what I love and which is a lot about what we talk about here at the Peers Project. So I think that really brings us to, you know, the, the end of our discussion today. But before we, we dive into the last question, I just want to firstly acknowledge you, Raj, for the phenomenal work you've done and that you're doing. You know, you're, you're an example. You're really an example for all of us, all of our peers out there listening. You know, you took the leap. You did something different. And, you know, as you say, you, you really are, you know, challenging the conventional ways of thinking. And it's so cool to see. So we really appreciate you. Thank you so much for saying that. And thank you so much for asking such great questions. Uh, I had a a lot of fun. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad. Great. So our final question is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Peers Project. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I think the value is the impact you have on the people around you. When you pursue passion, you accidentally give everyone around you the permission to pursue passion too. Um, it doesn't have to mean quitting your job and starting a new business. It doesn't have to mean traveling the world. It doesn't have to mean doing something extravagant. But just even showing up in a way with energy, excitement, zest for life, showing up fully and intentionally, it makes a difference on people. I remember, uh, and I'll close with the story, but my um, my dad, and I actually shared this in, in my in my presentation when I was in Australia a couple, couple of months ago, but... Uh, my dad, when I had first started making money with Java Press, um, you know, I had, I think it was like probably like two years ago, and um, I was still at Chevron, but you know, I was living my life very intentionally. I started telling the story of like Jerry and like what we were doing at the company, and kind of living my purpose and really kind of being it. And I felt the shift in my own livelihood kind of change. I remember, um, you know, my dad. Uh, I told you this, but you know, he spent his entire life just working, working, working. He had all these things he wanted to do later in life, and he'd put it off. And one of those things was kayaking. So my dad uh, had always wanted to go kayaking. He'd been talking about it for the last eighteen years, and uh, he never did. He always made up some excuse, or I don't have time, or like something comes up, and he just never did. Well, one random like afternoon, I get like a, I get like a, a selfie from my dad. And uh, my dad doesn't really send a lot of selfies, uh, you know, so, and he was like on the water in a life jacket wearing like earplugs. And like, I was like, 
what is going on, Dad? Like, one, I didn't know how, you knew how to send a selfie. <laughs> Secondly, why are you wearing electronics you're not on the water? So, like, just a lot of, like, glaring questions in my mind. Um, but then after he sends that selfie, he sends me a text. And he says, Raj, I've been wanting to go canoeing or kayaking uh, for the past 18 years, and I never did. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And it kind of, like, was one of those, like, like – I mean, my dad and I were, were a lot closer now, but at the time he wasn't really opening up like that. And I think it was the first time I'd ever really like realized the importance of pursuing passion or living with passion. You know, my parents, they're traditional Indian uh, parents, you know, they don't know how to have fun. Like they just don't know because they've always done everything either for their parents or for their kids. It's always about somebody else. And so for me to see the impact that I was having on my father purely by pursuing my own dreams and passions made everything come together. Pursuing passion, yes, it makes you feel good. But I think what really sticks with you is the amazing impact you have on the people in your life, whether you intentionally plan that or not. Um, people notice and they might not express it immediately and they might not support you immediately, but they feel it. And I think that's part of the journey is pushing through, living with passion, even though it doesn't make sense until you start to see the effects that it has on everyone around you. Because I promise you, if you just show up 100% in every part of your life, the people in your life will start showing up right there with you. Wow, I love it. Thanks so much for that, Raj. And thanks for that, so much for this discussion. We've all learned so much from you and I'm so excited we could have this time. So where can people learn more about you and your work? Okay. Um, so we don't actually sell in Australia yet. So if you wanted to buy our coffee and products, you probably would be able to. So I apologize for that upset. Um, but if you, if you want to check out the podcast, you can go to rajjana.com forward slash podcast. Uh, check it out. And um, if you have any thoughts, you can always reach me too. Uh, you can just email me, raj at javapress.com. Happy, uh, happy to help out anybody who might be on the same path or – or, or looking to make leaps and don't have all the all their ducks in a row yet. Love that. Once again, thanks so much, Raj. We've had a ball. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at the Peers Project. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, Peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.